Hi everybody, welcome to Wrong Term Memory. As always, it's me, Jack. And as always, it's me, Colin. But not as always, Jack, we've got a third member this week. Um, why don't you introduce them? Yeah, so like it's, it's hot outside and I'm going to let you peek behind the curtain here, Cam. Um, I would normally sit with my top off if it was just me, Colin, recording. <laughs> I, but I because we've got all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but because uh. <laughs> <laughs> we've got you on, yes, um, you on, Cam, um, I've decided not to do that because that would be horrendous for you. Um, yes, it's uh, Karen, um, and I had to ask you how to say your second name, but it's Barky. Um, probably, maybe I'm um, overstepping the mark, but most well known for being um, Officer Karen and Scott Squad, which is one of my favourite TV shows. So I'm really excited to have you on. Karen, how are you? I am very well, thank you, and thank you very much. I'm delighted that you like the show. I, I'm very proud of it, so it's always nice to know that people saw it. <laughs> Yeah, because I th- like we, we had Darren on, who you obviously spent most of your time with filming. Yes. Um, maybe about a month or so ago. And I think he sort of indicated he was pretty disappointed at the sort of whole marketing side of things when it came to Scott Squad, because I only came, I only sort of found it when it was in season seven. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think it was always quite a niche show because it was on BBC Scotland rather than on BBC One. Right. Um, It, it was relying on people either stumbling across it or actively going out and looking for it. So we, we, I mean, in some ways, I'm really proud of the fact that we built such an audience, mm-hmm. given that it is it was quite a niche show, first of all, and it was on a, a, one of the smaller channels. So, you know, a lot of people didn't just bump into it. They came across it, either people shared memes of it, so things like the... The Bam Whisperer and um, the Chief Apologising, those kind of things actually <laughs> drew a lot of people to to end up seeing the show because they had seen little individual clips and thought it was funny. Um, you know, I think it's it's always difficult. Anything on BBC Scotland's got a harder harder job to do than something that's on network to try and draw an audience. Um, but, you know, I always thought the BBC were actually quite supportive of us, but it, it, it's a shame that we didn't have a bigger audience, but I, I didn't feel we were cheated, I suppose. I think the the nature of the show, because it's, I know it's not a sketch show per se, but it's made up of a lot of short clips of the different characters, isn't it? So yeah. it, it does lend itself quite nicely to kind of online and TikToks and reels and that sort of thing. So I guess that would yeah. be how a lot of people found it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the clips were really fun because of the because of the scenarios that we were given to do. Like there were a lot of ones that that just everybody can relate to, even if they're not interested in the police and they're not interested in the show, they would still find it funny. Like the um, the time capsule, the 1970s time capsule one. Anybody that's over 30 is going, oh, God, remember, remember when we used to like Rolf Harris before it turned out he was a pervert? (laughs) Um, you know that so that kind of thing. Uh, it, it just le- it lends itself really well to to little individual memes, and and people have really picked up on it, which is really nice. Yeah, the, the big one recently was Grado with his Ali McCoist impression, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, really, <laughs> because you even got Ali McCoist like going on Instagram about that and stuff. So yeah, it's, it's amazing the kind of boost little things like that can do as well. Did you see? Um, it, it was Grado's birthday last week, and yeah, they got him. Uh, Ali McCoist went in to see him on his radio show. Yeah, I was emotional for him. He was that happy. It was so good seeing it. He was so excited. Yeah, it was great. And, and quick as a flash, he wasn't that shy. As soon as he saw me, started doing the impression again. Which oh, was totally, brilliant. totally. So bold. Love it. 
I've just yeah. realised I've been sitting really low down by, underneath my microphone, so that's probably why I'm so quiet. <laughs> so no, I've sat up now. No, you're, you're sound, you sound perfect. Um, like, I said this as well, like, at Scott Squad is my... They, I think everybody's got comfort TV, you know, yeah. where it's TV that's just on. Yeah. Like, there, it's just there. And Scott Squad, alongside things like Taskmaster and stuff like that, has became my sort of, there's nothing on I, I'll just stick an episode of that on and it's just on. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I get roped right in and I binge watched it from start to finish basically <laughs> within like a fortnight basically. I was watching a season a season every couple of days basically. Wow. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. And yes, you and Bobby. Now your relationship is really quite um touching, I think. Um Officer Khan has the patience of a saint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I was going to say, do you share? Like we know a lot of it was improvised. Do you share? A, do you share a lot of characteristics with Officer Khan in your real life? Um, I, I don't think I'm quite as dour. I hope I'm not quite as dour. <laughs> no, um, and and I don't think I take myself anywhere like as seriously. Um, I think. Uh, I, do I? I mean, I've I've had a lot of customer service jobs. Do you know right. what I mean? So I suppose that that's a lot of where it comes from is. And and I think that was always the secret. Joe, the guy that created the show, said that early on, and and it is the secret to it to an extent. The police absolutely loved the show, right? Because they felt like we had tapped into something that nobody else understood, which was what it's like to be a police officer. But realistically, if it was in McDonald's, you could still do most of that because it's the same kind of thing. You're still dealing with the public and all that stuff. So I probably am quite good at that, at being patient with people who are being difficult. Mm. Um, I probably have a better poker face than Officer Karen does. <laughs> um, and, and I can maintain, and, and I smile more than Officer Karen does, certainly. Um, so, yeah, because I, I, some, some of what Officer Karen was based on and I always feel really bad for saying this, but I saw one of these, like, they follow medics around. I can't, I can't remember which one it was. Ambulance, paramedics on scene, something like that. And there was one ambulance person who, when actually dealing with the public, was a perfectly normal person. But whenever he was doing the bits to camera, suddenly became this incredibly verbose. Right. And obviously was getting very excited about being on camera. So, like, in real life, he'd be like, you are right there, pal? Aye, come on, we'll get you up. And then he would go on camera and he would say, well, naturally, the individual concerned has been involved. And, and he had this total different voice and persona and everything. And that's what I was, that's kind of what triggered the Officer Karen idea, was just this person that was get, taking themselves really seriously, but at heart was actually not a bad person. I was, I was going to say that. I don't think, she's not at all. Um, like, the... Just, I thought the relationship was the, the the strongest over the eight seasons. To be perfectly honest with you, well, that's that's, just... that, that's really kind of you to say, and I, I, it's something I'm really, I'm really, really proud to have been a part of it. I, I loved the show. I mean, I thought every every pair and every set had some like proper genius moments. Oh yeah, proper. And, uh-huh. Um, I, I mean, a lot of my job. I say this regularly, but it's the truth. Darren is hilarious and he has such a unique worldview. So my job most of the time was to stay out his way, not mess up what you, do you know what I mean? I, I was very much there to support 
his like inventiveness and not block him and not get in his road so that it could become so that it could keep moving through um and I think because Darren is somebody who is so open and genuine and so inventive and has such a such a unique way of looking at the world um it was quite easy for me to to have that kind of fondness for him even when he was being particularly strange or <laughs> or inexplicable um because he's he's just he's just a nice talented funny guy so so Bobby was somebody that I always had sympathy for but but Darren's just somebody that I liked watching work so it was quite easy to to have that relationship on screen I think one of the one of the things I discovered in the last couple of days doing a bit of research ahead of this I've watched the show um not uh-huh. as obviously as, as Jack has not from start to finish but I've seen a lot of it and I did some googling and found a couple of online forums talking about the show and things like that all right and one of the fun, one of the things I read like on, I think it was on Reddit on Reddit or it was, it was on our forum but there's quite a, a large number of people that watched that show hoping that something was going to happen between the two characters in the end <laughs> yes. which I, it, it blew my mind because there was <laughs> no romantic element to it whatsoever and no. I, it was almost like I don't know like a, a guy and his auntie or a guy and his carer in some oh, ways yeah. it wasn't yeah. there was no romance at all and I don't know where these people were thinking it was suddenly going to turn and become Ross and Rachel but yeah. um, there's I, I don't know if there's fan fiction out there or anything else oh but, god almighty uh, I hope not there, there was people really looking for that which was, was yeah good. no to me it was a very maternal situation yeah. I, I that's how I felt I was like no she's 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 just kind of mothering him to be honest but yeah I, I knew that there were some people occasionally who had been sort of like oh do you think they're going to get together and a bit of me was going well I, I don't know what show you're watching and I don't know who you think I am but this is not because somebody once talked about like the Princess Leia bikini and genuinely my skin was crawling. I was just like, what is wrong with you? I'm a 50-year-old woman, you need to stop now. So, yeah. The, you mentioned Joe there who started the show. So how did how did you get your part? Um, that Darren told us about quite an interesting process he went through where it was sort of improvisation competitions and stuff like that. Yeah. He just sort of thrived in that area. But was, was yours a more sort of straight line sort of addition type thing you done how did you get the part there no um no. so we all did those improv workshops all um, right. how yeah. i actually became involved is because my friends colin healy and paul cromie cromie who is no longer with us paul unfortunately um they had started an improv troupe and i was terrified of improv <laughs> um so i thought i should go and do it because i was terrified of it and doing things you're frightened of is good for you so I joined their improv group and we did classes for ages and then we started doing live gigs in what was Highlight Jonglers it's been a a variety of different comedy clubs in Glasgow round about the time that Joe was looking for people and we were the only people that were doing improv gigs so that's how I that's how I initially came to his attention Um, and then we shot a taster like a little 10 minute taster which the it's never for broadcast it's just a practice so that you can kind of send it to the BBC and go this is what the show would be like and a few of us from my improv group were in that and then when they were going to shoot the the pilot proper we all got the opportunity to go and audition and I was in the audition that Darren was in right 
And uh, it was that thing we all had to stand in a line and we had to confess to a crime. And then we all had to, we had to walk in pairs as if we were out on the beat and just talk about various things, all that kind of stuff. And I've never forgotten it because everybody was trying to think of things that they could confess to. And we're all doing these random things. And some of them were funny and some of them weren't. And then they got to Darren and he just went, I kicked a duck up the bum. I'm not even sorry. And it was the funniest (laughs) thing I'd ever, I was just like, I thought it was hilarious. Um, So yeah, there was, uh, Sally was there as well and Ashley and there were a few people in the same session as me. Um, and, And it was just, it was just about trying things out and seeing how you responded to prompts and, finding people that kind of matched up and it, it, it was a very organic kind of process and were any of the other actors were were you once you'd gone through that were you then officer Khan that was going to work with bobby was that the plan from day one or was there changes behind the scenes did <laughs> did people get swapped about you know was Grado meant to be working in the highlands or whatever like that at any point that you know of um so um Originally in the first series, it was another actor called Grant O'Rourke who was the traffic cop and then he couldn't come back because he was an outlander. (laughs) So he he was too busy. Um, And Grado took over that that particular sort of niche. I think I was always meant to be the desk sergeant. Um, I don't know. Well, I do know. It wasn't always intended that Bobby would be a permanent, a constant character. Right. Um, but he, Darren was so funny and what he was doing was so fascinating that they were like, no, we'll just keep it, we'll keep it going. But initially, because they, they were always so determined. Oh, sorry, I bumped my mic there. Oh. They were always so keen to make sure that they stuck with the the rules of this imagined world that we were in. And the rules are, who are they go- the, the, the documentary crew are only ever going to follow the police. They're never going to go and fuck, like, no documentary crew, no 999 show follows the people. They only ever deal with the public when they're interacting with the police or the ambulance people. So they hadn't started the show with the intention of having a regular non-police person. But Darren was so funny and they liked that relationship of him just being a persistent caller that it became... Me and him were the pair all the time, but it wasn't it wasn't initially intended that way. It was supposed to be broader and I would be dealing with all sorts of different people. It just turned out it was funnier for it always to be the same person. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Like, I've, I've, I keep popping in about Scott Squad. We'll move on to different things. Don't minute. worry, don't but, worry. Um, the, I don't want to speak for Dan, but he, he said he's got a podcast. Um, I'm sure you know uh-huh. about that, that I listen to. And he, he said he... At, it got to the point after like maybe eight seasons where you started to feel a bit trapped in the one sort of situation, the sort of one, not one joke, but you know what I mean? The, the same, burst well, the doors, be mental, you're, and then leave. I, yeah. What, I mean, he had a much harder job than me right, because, okay. because that was, that, that was his fun. That was the function of that character in the show uh-huh. was to come in and do something strange or, or difficult for Officer Karen to deal with. Um, and and there does come a point when there's only so many variations on coming in with a weird prop or dressed up a weird way that you can do. Um, so I, I think it was really hard at points for him because 
because she was trying to be really inventive and not retread old paths. But there's but how how much more can you do? And because, as I say, because they were sticking so rigidly to that rule of That's you wouldn't it. follow him. Right. So the only thing he can do is come into the police station, or alternatively, we would have to go and see his world. The police would have to go to his house, and it it would have been it would have been hard. Once you've done that, you can't. Once that genie's out the bottle, you can't put it back in. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So. The audience have an idea in their head of what Bobby's home life is like and what Uncle Jeffy's like and what Fridge is like and stuff like that. Once you've shown them that, it's never it's never going to be as funny again. Um, so it, it did become difficult. I had pitched towards, when we were talking about doing the last series, I had suggested that maybe Officer Karen, because we were, we were sort of talking about what could happen to people, how could they be, be moving on in life. And I had suggested that maybe I could go and, be a tutor at the police college and that literally the end of the show would just be Bobby arriving in the class because <laughs> <laughs> he's joined the force and I that always kind of tickled that idea tickled me but then the idea of without wishing to spoil the show the idea of him and Officer Sharon I thought was hysterically funny that really tickled me the idea of the two of them um, and that just came out of discussions that we had. The three of us sat in the meeting room with Rab and uh, Noddy and Stuart uh, McPherson, who uh, was the script editor uh, and wrote a lot of the material as well as being in the show. Um, oh, did he write a lot for it as well, Stuart? Did he? Yeah, I had towards yeah, the end. Good. Like he, he's he writes lots of stuff because he's he's written tons of Noising Up, which is the radio show yeah. that I, I did with the comedy unit earlier this year. Um, again, phenomenal writer, great performer, stand-up comedian, all that, you know, so there's a lot of really, really talented people on the show. I'm dead proud of being part of it. Did he, did he write himself into the show as that guy? As Stuart? The... No, 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 no. That's how he, he came into the show purely to be Archie and then Aye. was producing so much material that he's ended up working with the comedy unit writing for them. So Aye, Good stuff. I think um, what you've done just before we before we move away from uh, that, one of the things you have done, I think, is in real life going to the police station. I think the, the idea of Officer Karen and Bobby does into your brain because at the start of the year, I had reason to go to the police station. Um, <laughs> so I went to the police station and um, just down near live uh, where uh-huh. we used to stay, Jack. And I remember parking up outside it. And if I'm ever doing something kind of formal or kind of something that I need to think about before I do it, uh-huh. I will sit in the car outside the place for a minute or two. And I do remember in my head just going, right, please don't come across like a Bobby in here. Don't, <laughs> do not be a Bobby. <laughs> because and I don't think I ever would, right? But it's still no. in my head. I was going to a police station. I knew the first person I spoke to was going to be the desk sergeant. Yeah. And the issue I had, the problem I was having, the fear that I had, that all left. And suddenly I'm thinking of you two guys in this bloody TV show. <laughs> so, like, it is amazing how something like just a, a fictional character, a fictional set of characters can enter real life and that you think of them as the go-to examples um, oh, yeah. of what, what, what the situation was going to be like. I mean, I, I, it seems daft, but I can't tell you. First of all, Jack saying that he's binged it and then you saying that you think about us when you think about the police station. <laughs> I can't tell you how proud that makes me. That feels amazing to me because that's how I feel about like um, ghosts, for example. I'm obsessed with ghosts. You know, the BBC comedy. Yeah, with Charlotte. 
Charlotte Ritchie. I, Charlotte like Ritchie. I, I literally am in love with every one of those people. I think it's the best show in the history of history. I, I like, yeah. I love it, and and I know how that makes me feel. So, see if somebody says to me that they want to, but they want to binge something. I'm in. That's a, it's the biggest compliment anybody or that that they think of me or characters. That's the biggest compliment anyone can pay me because I know how I feel about stuff that I watch that I feel that way about. So it's. I'm I'm hugely flattered and and really really chuffed that that you liked it that way. No, I, I totally get that because on a much smaller scale, obviously, we do this silly little podcast, uh-huh. and I love it when people come up and talk to me and talk to me about it. Whereas Jack and the other side of things absolutely <laughs> hates it. <laughs> you actively avoid it. Whereas I I welcome it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I want to crawl inside myself when people talk about. I just, I think it's a West of Scotland thing. I don't take a compliment particularly well as a man. I just never have. I, it, it must be ingrained in my psyche. Um, I find it, I find it really difficult when people are just nice about stuff that I do or whatever. I just, I can't, I can't quite wrap my head around it. It's, it's a very British thing, and to be, to be perfectly honest, I am not great at it. I've got a lot better at it. Um through dint of effort to be honest um particularly because somebody had said it to me years ago and I was like it's true if somebody gives you a compliment and you shrug it off or you're uncomfortable fundamentally what you're saying is I don't value your opinion yes and I was like that's that's a fair point um so I I don't particularly it's weird as well that's another thing so we did the show we did eight series I have never been recognised more than I have been in the last six months. No, nobody ever, ever recognised oh. me, which was totally fine because I, I'm quite uncomfortable when people recognise me, to be perfectly honest. But I do all these murder mysteries. My friend Kenny writes uh, murder mystery shows and we, we go out and do them, me and him and my friend John and Gillian, just like four or five of us do them all the time, cool. like a couple of times a week. I have been recognised on every gig we've done this year. <laughs> like everyone, including ones where I'm dressed up. There's one we would do that's kind of based on Cluedo. So I've got one of those like Daenerys Targaryen, like white wigs. Right, okay. And I'm I, like, my makeup's really weird and stuff like that. And people are like, uh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, you have a laugh? Um, and weirdly, I cut a fringe into my hair because I was just fed up with my hair. More people recognise me now with the fringe than they did without, and I'm like, but I don't look the same. And I've got glasses, and and like, look, my mouth goes up the way, and like, loads of stuff is different. Um, but people are always lovely, and I am very grateful. But I still internally I'm cringing, but I've just got better at putting on outside, going thank you very much, and just stopping talking. Oh, see, I'll, I'll lean into it now because when they when they tell me they like something, I say, "What parts do you like?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's just I, f- I find that easier than just going, oh, "Cheers, thanks." Just kind of have a bit of a conversation, but yeah, it's kind of how different we are in some ways, Jack. Yeah, and do you think um, getting noticed that much is because was it not on iPlayer before, or did they just backdate it? Um, it, no, it, it went on iPlayer. They, they put all eight series on iPlayer just before... They, they put all the previous seven series on iPlayer just before the last series went oh, out. Right, did they? Right, okay. And also, and I, and I say this with the greatest love for the BBC and BBC Scotland, um, it was on a loop for months and months and months because 
because of the pandemic, there wasn't any new content, so they just kept yeah. showing it over and over and over. And I think a lot of people <laughs> found it because of that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So to kind of move away from the show just a little bit, but mm-hmm. what was your plan, like growing up and stuff? Like, did you always want to do this sort of thing? Was this the plan from a from a young age? Because I know you went to university and you did have like a per se normal job to begin with, but yep. was this always sort of the plan or the ambition? It was always the ambition. It was no, it wasn't the plan, but it was the ambition. Um, I think, funnily enough, I found the 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 program for the show that I went to that really triggered it for me. Um, not that long ago, and I've moved house, and I don't know how I didn't find it when I was packing up my old house, but I found it. Um, my aunt used to work at the Mitchell Theatre in Glasgow. Uh, at the Mitchell Library rather and they had a theatre in there and I went to see a production of Bugsy Malone a school's production um, and it, and in hindsight it was probably absolutely honking um, the guy that was playing Bugsy Malone's voice was clearly breaking like, do you know what I mean it was, it, was, it was bad in a lot of ways and I sat and I just stared at it like oh my god this is what I want to be and I had always done that thing of I made my two cousins put on shows for my gran when, like, even when we were really young, like four or five. I was always just, I wanted to be a, an actor. And I always knew I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't think I could because, um, and this sounds very self deprecating, but it's genuinely the truth. Because I'm not, because <laughs> I'm not pretty enough to play the lead and I'm not ugly enough to play the character. Certainly when I was younger. I, I I just, I was very average and I was also very shy and I was pretty confident I would never work. So I thought, and, and the reason I ended up at uni doing what I was doing is because I had had a sneaky plan. I would study film and television studies and then I would become a researcher. I didn't really know what they did, but I knew they worked on television. And I liked reading things and finding out things, so I thought I could be a researcher. And then my my secret, secret internal plan was, and then one day they'll realise that they're short of somebody <laughs> and I'll be there. And by that point in time, I'll have worked out how to do it properly. And then I'll just get a job and then I'll be an yeah. actor. And it'll be amazing. I'll just go in the back door. It um, almost worked for Philip Schofield's friend, I suppose. So it, that, that <laughs> oh dear, no. See, that's where I would have drawn the line. Um, oh, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, that was that was kind of the sneaky plan. Um, I had been in Glasgow Schools Youth Theatre, um, and quite a lot of the people that I was there with went off to be proper actors and did amazingly well, and a lot of them are still working. Um, but I was too shy, too nervous, and too ordinary. <laughs> so I was like, I'll go and do something else. Um, and it was just luck eventually that I got to start doing it as a job, to be honest. That's amazing. It must have always been in the back of your mind, though, and those opportunities and stuff. Were you still looking, or had you all but given up, really? No, I I did it for a hobby. I, I just, so I was in Glasgow Schools Youth Theatre, and I loved it. And then I went to university, didn't join any of the drama societies, did my four years at uni, came out and then joined the Pantheon Club, which is another Glasgow amateur theatre company. Um, Was still incredibly shy. And the first show I did, um, I emptied an entire, like an old school 
smoke machine all over the stage, nearly drowned the audience, nearly drowned the orchestra, <laughs> nearly killed the Widow Twanky and um, Wishy Washy, and uh, like spent the entire interval in the toilet in the dressing room in tears, just like just so humiliated. But in a weird way, that was as bad as it could ever get. Yeah. And and from then on, I developed a bit more confidence and started just enjoying. Well, I'd always enjoyed performing just for the sake of performing, but started to really enjoy that and really just wanted to do it more and more and more and more and more. Still not thinking that I could do it for a job. But I, I spent years with Pantheon and I joined Strathclyde Theatre Group as well. Who So Pantheon was kind of musicals and some straight plays. Strathclyde Theatre Group was like really serious plays, Carol Churchill plays and stuff like that. I had to, and I had to do one once. We did a Carol Churchill play and there was a lady there who was playing my girlfriend and what she didn't remember but which I really remembered was she had been a teacher when I was in the youth theatre. <laughs> okay. She didn't remember that because there had been loads of people obviously and we're doing this adult play, I'm a grown up and she kept talking to me about like her, her sex life with her husband and I was just like, oh God, this is really uncomfortable because I was really trying really hard not to call her like Miss So-and-so because she was a teacher um, and and then she we had to have like massive snogs and stuff like that and it was, oh, it was very weird. Um, she's a lovely lady she, and, and it was a good play. Um, so I did tons of that and then I was an extra for years because that gave me an opportunity to go and do something and earn a bit of money and I'm quite a patient person so being an extra was quite easy because you just have to be able to sit still for eight hours and then do what you're told when you're told I could do that and then I was with an extras agency and how I how I got to be an actor is literally the extras agency said so there's this part and it's one line but I think you might get a credit for it because you, cause you're a named character and I was like right okay so it was one day on Monica the Glen and she was like just act like you do that kind of stuff all the time don't let on that you've not you're normally an extra right just just act cash you might get like a trailer and stuff <laughs> but just act like it's normal and I was like right okay so I went up and I did my day and I did I had said four words five syllables is this you Duncan right looking at a photo is this you Duncan right okay but I did get a credit and because I got a credit that meant I could join equity and because I was in equity that meant I could get on spotlight and see once you're in equity and spotlight you're an actor right okay. everything else after that is just trying to persuade people to give you a job to give you that credit but trying to get that is nigh on impossible that first part is the yeah. hardest bit and those four words got me Got me my career. Mon- Monica the Glen was a big deal back in the day when it was on. It was That's huge. a big Scottish TV show, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had to drive all the way to Aviemore to pretend I was in a hotel in Glasgow. And then the next day they came to Glasgow. It was so oh, frustrating. No <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that that was how it that's how it started. And I continued to just I, I was still doing tons of stuff. I was with Giffnick Theatre Players. Um as well, they did plays as well, and and I just did loads and loads and loads and loads of theatre, student films, anything I could do, because just for the sheer love of it, just because I enjoyed it, um, and the more that I did, the more I wanted to do, until it got to the point where I was like exhausted because I had a full time job and another full time hobby kind of yeah, a thing. Becomes too much. Yeah. 
Colin, I personally don't think there's anybody still listening, and if they are, they're pretty hardcore long-term memory fans, and I would be expecting them to go and sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wrong-term memory, or by clicking the link in the show notes. Absolutely, and if for whatever reason they can't do that, and paying for content isn't their bag, they can still offer us continual support by leaving a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. 